It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Have you wandered along on life's Is your life without God a life of cheer? Have you searched for life's great hidden meaning? Or is your life filled with long and wasted Wasted years, wasted years Oh, how foolish And you walk on in darkness and fear Turn around, turn around God is calling He's calling Wisdom and no understanding. There is someone who knows and always cares. Give it up, give it up, the load you're bearing. You can go. In a life of wasted years Wasted years, wasted years Oh, how foolish And you walk on in darkness and fear Turn around, turn around God is calling, He's calling you from a life of wasted years. Turn around, turn around, God is calling, He's calling you from a life of wasted years. He's calling you from a life of wasted years. Lord, as we come tonight to the Word, 
I pray that not one of my brothers or sisters will be found in the world. But Lord, I know tonight some have come with divided hearts. I know that some have come tonight and they're found in the world. Oh Lord, they may be covered over with a spray paint of Jesus, but oh God, their hearts are in the world. And I ask tonight that you would work a miracle in this house. And that Lord, before the close of this meeting, before tonight is over, every man and woman, every boy and girl will be found in Jesus. Lord, send the anointing of your spirit. Give me utterance tonight for your word. Lord, make my lips clean. Let me step back and disappear. Jesus, would you step forward? Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I need to talk about the law of marriage. I'm going to speak about the law of marriage first because it's an example. What is the law of marriage? The law of marriage says in the scripture that when a man marries a woman, he cannot leave that woman when he gets tired of her. He can't use her and walk away and say, I want another woman now, thank you very much. That's the law of marriage. The scripture says that if a man leaves a woman and marries another one, he is now committing adultery. And the wages of adultery are death. Adultery is a sin against God, and it will cause a man or a woman to go to hell. We've grown altogether too casual about the law of God in this age. You see, either you're under Jesus or you're under the law. If you're walking in disobedience before God, you're under the law. There's no such thing as walking in disobedience under Jesus. You're either walking in accord with Jesus or you're walking under the law and you're condemned to die. And so this law of marriage says you can't leave your spouse and marry another person just because that happens to be what you want to do. The scriptures give two reasons for why you may leave and marry another person. They're very simple. I'm going to take you to both of the passages of Scripture just so that you'll know I'm giving you the word on this law. The first is found in Matthew, the 19th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. Jesus is addressing the question of remarriage and of divorce. Jesus replied, this is Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus is saying, if you choose to leave your wife and she has not committed adultery, if she has not been unfaithful to your marriage, then you are an adulterer if you marry another person. Now, there's another reason for, for divorce. And this is found in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We find the apostle Paul begins to speak here. And let me read this for you. I'll begin reading in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 12. To the rest, I say this. If any brother has a wife who, does not, who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. In other words, if a believing wife is married to an unbelieving husband, and that man deserts the marriage. Now, I want to go another step very quickly. There are a number of different ways to desert a marriage. But if that man deserts his marriage, if he doesn't fulfill his obligations as a husband, if that man refuses to walk with his wife and makes it impossible for her to walk with him, then he is considered as abandoning his wife. And the scriptures then say, you are free to remarry. You're not under the law of marriage. So it's very important in the scriptures to begin to understand what marriage is. Because marriage is that awesome symbol for Jesus and the church. And he doesn't want that symbolism messed up by our passion and sin. He wants us to walk in righteousness in this issue of marriage. He doesn't want us to just be like dogs or like animals, saying, who do I want next, and where do I want to go, and, and what's of interest to me? No, he says, a husband and wife become one flesh. But if that husband is not a believer, and he refuses to walk with his wife, and he abandons her, then that wife is free to remarry. Or if that husband is unfaithful, he commits adultery, he is not faithful to his wife, then that wife is free to remarry. Now, why am I talking about this tonight? Because the Apostle Paul does. And I want to share with you what he has to say. Let's go to the book of Romans, the seventh chapter. The Apostle Paul begins to use this simple law of marriage to enlarge an issue of salvation for our hearts. We all understand this thing of marriage. It's not complicated. If your husband has an affair, you're free to leave him and you're free to get married again, according to the scriptures. If your husband abandons you and refuses to walk with you and cast you aside, you're free to leave that man and you can get remarried. You're not bound by the law of marriage. But the law of marriage is a binding contract. And if the marriage is broken... There is no such thing as no-fault marriage before God. Let me say that again. There's no such thing as a no-fault divorce before God. If there's a divorce, it's because somebody has been unfaithful to God and the judgment of God is on them. And if both people agree to the divorce and say, yes, that's fine with me, then the judgment of God is on both of them. There's no way for a marriage to be broken without judgment from God coming on the life of the person who broke that marriage. That's the law of marriage. Now look at what Paul says about this in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, and I've just told you what the law is, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. 
So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. That's the law of marriage. So, my brothers, verse 4, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, some of you I just lost. Let's come back and talk about what's being said here. There's a law of marriage. We've just outlined that law. It's very simple. It's not complicated. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying, in a similar manner, you were married to the devil. You were married to the devil. And there's only one way you can get free from being married to the devil. And that is if you die. If you don't die, you're married to the devil. Now, when did the marriage take place? Well, it was a beautiful garden. And the couple was there. And they made the conscious choice to leave the tree of life and to go over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, we want to be like God and we'll be the judge of what is right or wrong. We'll be the ones who decide what is right or wrong. Does that ring a bell with any of you? What do you mean? I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what's right. I'll do it my way. Don't bother me with the facts. I know what I want. None of you have ever said that, have you? I know this isn't good for me, but just once won't hurt. How can anything that feels so good be so wrong? I've had people sit in my office holding hands, saying, Pastor, we know we're both married to other people, but we've just fallen in love, and we want you to go talk to our, our spouses and tell them we have to get a divorce and when I've reprimanded them and said to them, how could you even come in my office and speak such blasphemy? they become quite offended. And they've said, Pastor, how can anything that feels so right be wrong? Like it's my feeling that's going to determine what is right or wrong. No, I'm not the one who determines what is right or wrong. Right, I'm driving down 95, I come to HOV, I have Jan in the car with me. It's really crowded up ahead. And I say, you know, hey, look, I'm as important as anybody else on this road. I've got a busy agenda just like everybody else. I'm going to go in that HOV with two people instead of three. So I'm tooling down the HOV. The little light starts to go behind me. He pulls me over. He comes to the window and I say, but officer, I'm important. What's the officer going to say to me? He's going to say, sir, you are so important, I am giving you a summons to appear before the judge. If you're that important, sir, you have an appointment with a very important man. You know, now I've got to decide. Do I have the money in my pocket to make my own choices? Can I pay the price? Can you pay the price? Can you pay your way out of hell? Do you have the money in your pocket to pay God to let you out of hell? I don't. 
So when Adam and Eve chose to go with that horrid serpent, they were wed to him. They now served him. And corruption rose up in the heart of man. Thorns and thistles grew out of the soil. Darkness came over the face of the earth. Lemmick soon would say, Oh, you've had revenge on one. I'll have revenge on 70 times seven. You hit me once, I'll hit you seven times. You hurt me, watch what I'll do to you. You're dead. You cut me off, watch how I cut you off. My car's bigger than yours. And so it goes. And all of us in this place have tried to live a good life and discovered that the result was bitterness of heart, anger, failure, and loss. I have yet to meet a man or woman who could honestly say to me, Pastor, I don't need Jesus. I've been able to do it myself. Oh, I've met a lot of people who've said, I can't do it myself, and Jesus can't do it either. They're both lying. You see, we'd like to say, okay, I admit it, Pastor, I admit it. I can't do it on my own. But you know, Jesus really doesn't expect me to do it right after all. He said he'd cover me. So I'm covered. I've got it made. I can continue pursuing the world. I can let my boss run my life. I can let this run my life. I can let, I can let this addiction control me. But Jesus has got me covered. No, you're still married to the devil. You know, let's be clear. This is not an issue of how you feel. This is the law. That if you walk in the way of darkness, you are married to the devil. Now, I tell you what, the devil loves to have courses on self-improvement. He'll give you seminars. He'll give you workshops. The devil is very interested in you being the very best you can be. After all, you're his wife. So today the church can be just full of all kinds of courses. We'll teach you about your gifts, and we'll teach you about this, and we'll teach you about that, and we're going to help you be a better person, and we're going to have a support group so you can come and get over your addiction. And, and, and we even have sex addiction support groups where you can go and trade war stories with each other. The devil loves this stuff because as long as I'm playing with self-improvement, I believe that there's some way I can make it through without dying. But the devil doesn't abandon. And the devil's not going to go and get another wife. He's got you. And he's married in tight. There's one thing you can say for the devil tonight. He never gives up on you. He's always after you. He's like a roaring lion, and he's prowling through the land. Whom can he devour? So if you're married to him, you're a part of his deal. And all he wants to do is keep you happy, fat and happy. If he can keep you busy in the crafts, he can keep you busy in all the business. He can keep you busy. He doesn't mind if you go to church once in a while. Did you know the devil loves to have you go to church? The church is one of the best places for a sinner to go and hide. You can get in 
positions of power and authority. Oh, can Satan use somebody who's an elder or a deacon or an evangelist or a pastor who's owned by him? Oh, he can get some real manpower now. See, the devil's not afraid of the church. He loves the church. What he's afraid of is the blood of Jesus. And what he's afraid of is a church that's broken and covered by the blood of Jesus. He's afraid of a church where there are a bunch of dead people who've been resurrected in Jesus Christ. Now you're talking about a church he hates, a church where the Holy Spirit begins to flow. Now, could I take a digression just a moment? There are many spirits. There is only one Holy Spirit. You can have an altar call and you can come up and you can have people slain in the spirit. That doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. Demon spirits love to play. They'll dress up any time you give them a chance and they'll go to church. The question is, if a person was supposedly slain in the spirit and they're laying on the floor, are they like Ezekiel, repenting of their sin? Or are they basking in the love? That's the test. If you go to a church where everybody's supposed to lay down and get carpet time to bask in the love, you know you've got a spirit that is not a Holy Spirit. You know you've got a spirit of darkness. On the other hand, if you have people with all kinds of strange things happening, and the result is men and women are weeping for their sins, and they're confessing their sins, and they're getting broken free of the darkness, and the bondages are being released in their lives, now you're dealing with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why he's called the Holy Spirit. He's not called the celebration spirit. He's not called the unholy spirit. He's not called the flesh spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit, meaning, you know what holy means? Set apart. Well, what are you set apart from? Set apart from flesh and from sin and from darkness. Set apart under the glory of God. So if the Holy Spirit it begins to flow in this congregation, you're going to see people empty out of their pockets the filth. I read about one evangelist. He said he could always tell when the, when the crowd began to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit because the guns would come out and be brought up and laid on the altar. The drugs would come out and be laid on the altar. The filth would be poured out. In fact, one evangelist said he always made it a practice to put a garbage can right in the middle of the platform because he knew by the end of the service it was going to be full if the Holy Spirit came. You understand what I'm talking about? When the Holy Spirit comes, there's a cleansing by the blood. So this marriage to the devil that's being spoken of here has to be broken. This marriage contract has to be broken. Adam and Eve formed a legal contract to belong to Satan. And all of the human race was sold under that contract. You didn't get to vote. Some of you say, well, that's not fair, Pastor. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach it's supposed to be fair. The Scripture teaches it's supposed to be righteous, holy. So without your even choosing, you were sold 
under sin. You were sold to the devil. You were married to Satan. Now we're going to show you in this passage of Scripture what begins to happen. In your heart, there comes a longing for God. David referred to this tonight in Genesis 3.15. He said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, her seed and your seed. In other words, the Lord said, okay, you're married to the devil, but I'm going to put a seed of discontent between you. There's going to be something between you that will always cause discomfort. I have yet to meet a person walking a road of filth and sin and darkness who doesn't have a measure of discomfort with that walk. The most hardened sinner, if you say to them, do you wish it could have been different, will say, yes, I feel bad about what happened to my boy. I feel bad about what happened to my girl. I don't like what happened to my wife. There's a thread that's woven through their life of sorrow over the way things turned out. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. He promised I would put enmity between you and the woman. So now we come to this marriage with this seed of unhappiness that's planted between the devil and your heart. And as that seed begins to grow, that discontent begins to pop up. You begin to say in your heart, I'd like to get cleaned up. I don't like this way of life. I mean, I, I talked with one young man. He was probably 26, 27 years old. He was living with a woman who was not his wife. They had a child together. I came into their place. She was drunk and stumbling, and it was in the morning. He had a hangover, and he said, Pastor, what are you doing here? And I said, I had to come see what kind of pig slop you were in this morning. Are you tired of this? Oh, pastor. And he started to weep and say, I want out of this. I want out of this. I said, well, get your wife over here and let's pray. She came stumbling in, still drunk. We started to pray. And oh, they wept. Oh, they wept. The little baby was squalling in the background. This little one had had no breakfast. Finally, I said to them, are you willing to repent and turn away from your alcohol? Pastor, we're willing to try. I said, how many times have you tried? We try every time, Pastor. I said, look, there's only one way we can do it. Let's get all the alcohol and pour it down the drain now. Oh, Pastor, we paid money for that. That's good liquor, Pastor. I left that house. And they had the love of their life. What I want you to see, though, is that they were totally discontented with their way of life. But their discontent was not enough to save them. In other words, if they could, if they could clean up the flesh enough that they could deal with their alcohol then they could have a normal life. And what they wanted Jesus to do was to break the alcohol in their life so they could go for the money. And so they could have a normal life together and be worldly people. Jesus was not interested in setting them free 
from their alcohol so they could have a wonderful marriage with the devil. God doesn't want to help me in my marriage with the devil. God wants to break that marriage with the devil. He wants to set me free. Let's read it in the scriptures. We're going to just read now. I want you to hear the word of God. What I'm saying to you is not Pastor Ray's word. It's Jesus' word. Let's begin in chapter 7, verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law, they were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He's saying that there is a law of the Spirit of life. Now, let me review for you the last message where I spoke to you about the law of the Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit of life is not complicated. According to the book of Corinthians, it simply means that if I take a watermelon seed and I plant it in the ground, a watermelon seed does not grow up. That makes sense? If I plant a watermelon seed in the ground, a watermelon plant grows up not a seed. And as the watermelon plant grows up, it produces much fruit. And one of the pieces of that fruit is this tiny little watermelon seed. If I plant a kernel of corn, does a kernel of corn grow up out of the ground? No. When I plant a kernel of corn, a corn stalk grows up out of the ground. So the law of the spirit of life says that when I plant my life in Jesus Christ, when I die, the old Ray Greenlee doesn't grow up. What grows up is a new person. That new person who grows up will bear much fruit for Jesus. So Paul is saying, you've been under the law You've been under the spirit of death. You've been married to the devil. And now there's only one way for you to break that marriage. And that is to totally sever all connection with life. You now are going to have to die. Your dreams, your goals, everything you want has to go. And now it's only Jesus. Jesus becomes everything for you. You die and now you're planted And now what grows up is not the same old sinner man, the same old sinner woman. That's not the same old sinner baby. That's not what grows up. What grows up is a person filled with the strength and the glory and the victory of Jesus Christ. Now, there is no excuse for sin. If you could find one excuse for sin it would not be sin. Let me say that again. There is no excuse for sin. 
if there were an excuse for sin, it wouldn't be sin. You could justify it. So if there's no excuse for sin, there has to be a way to escape sin. And I'll tell you what I was taught growing up as a child. I was taught that I had to come to Jesus and give up my life. And then Ray Greenlee would grow up again. And I would have to spend the rest of my life struggling with all my sins. That's a lie. Can you imagine the power that would be released in your life if the marriage with the devil were totally broken and you walked free of that marriage and you walk now one with Jesus and all that occupied your time and your attention was Jesus? Some of you will go a whole day and never think about Jesus. You'll go a whole day and never pick up the word of God. Smith Wigglesworth, he said, it's impossible for me to go more than 15 minutes without reading the word of God. Without speaking the word of God. He had to speak it. He memorized portions of it. And as he was walking, he wasn't thinking about, now let's see, how am I going to get money to do the next big deal? (laughs) He wasn't thinking about, how do I fleece the saints? He was thinking about, oh God, thank you, Jesus. And the scriptures would flow from his mouth and from his heart. So when finally he was lying on a deathbed, he said, oh Lord, I haven't done enough for you yet. Please, like Hezekiah, would you give me 15 more years to totally be dedicated to you. I'm sorry for all those years I worked as a plumber. I want to work for you, Jesus. Give me 15 more years to serve you. And the Lord said, all right. And on that 15th year anniversary, he was standing in a church preaching. And when his time was up, he passed at the pulpit. Now, I particularly used a word. He passed at the pulpit. From one realm to another realm. He passed into glory doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine anything more glorious? Or the great evangelist Livingston. Do you know where they found Livingston when he died? Kneeling at his bed with his scriptures open. Communing. I mean, for him, it was one moment he was beside his bed in the deepest part of Africa. And the next moment he was reading the scriptures in glory. He was just a short step across. How many miles are you from heaven tonight? Would you have a journey to take? I can tell you now you won't make it unless you just step across that little doorstep. And tonight, some of you are a lot closer to hell than you are to heaven. You haven't chosen to die. You've chosen to play the game. You've chosen to live the life. You've gone for the gusto. 
and then you've tried to improve your life a little bit with Jesus. When you get a few minutes, you might read the scriptures, but probably not if your favorite TV show's on. I mean, do you see, that's being married to the devil. And there's only one way that marriage with the devil is broken. Getting on your face before God. Repenting of your sins. Turning away from your sins. And letting yourself be planted in Jesus Christ. Be found in Jesus Christ. And when you're found in Jesus Christ, you won't be found in hell. And I have to ask you, if you were to die right now, where would you be found? Would you be found in hell? Or were you hoping for a halfway place in between where you could kind of get a second chance? Now, some of you have been lied to. You've been taught that there's going to be a secret rapture. You've been taught that God's going to come just before the great tribulation and he's going to swoop you out of here because he loves you so much. But if you don't make it on that round, then you can catch it the next time he comes by. (laughs) Now, I can tell you the Left Behind series is great novel. It's entertainment. But do you know what the definition of a novel is? A lie. A novel is a lie. It's something that's not true. It's make-believe. There's not going to be a second chance. You either catch it the first time around, or you don't go. You're getting your second chance tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're getting to make a decision tonight. Are you going to be married to the devil or are you going to break the marriage contract by dying? You can't divorce him. You can't divorce the devil. I have to tell you, I was taught as a child that we could shake the devil off and we could stomp all over him. We could shake him off and we could stomp all over him. And I mean, we'd spit and shout. When I got done, my marriage contract was still void or still applying. It wasn't void. See, there's only one way for a marriage contract to be broken. And that is for one of you to die. And since the devil's not going to die yet, you're going to have to do the dying. Now understand, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he paid the bride price for you. He bought you. But you have to agree to the wedding. And there's only one way to the altar with the Lord God of heaven, and that's through the graveyard. That means letting go. Do any of you ever find yourself very brittle? Do you know what I mean by brittle? Something brittle is something that's easily broken. If you're brittle, let me describe you. When things don't go your way, everybody says, handle that person with kid gloves. They're going to explode on you. 
watch out, they've got a temper. That's a sure sign that you're married to the devil. Because you want your way. You've got to have your way. You don't want Jesus' way. You want the devil's way. You want your way. And when you don't get it, you're mad. See, as a child growing up, if I didn't get my way, I'd bawl. And then I got a little bigger, and when I got mad, I didn't cry. I started punching. And then when I got a little bigger, I figured out you weren't supposed to punch people, but you could do other things to them. Now as an adult, I've learned there are all kinds of ways to get even when you're married to the devil. But when you're married to Jesus Christ, you've accepted the price he's paid for your life, and you've walked humbly to that cross. And at the cross, there's a low door. And the only way you get through that door is on your knees. And you can't get through that door and carry the burden on your back of all the stuff in your life. That pack has to be cut off because this is a narrow path. This is a groaning gate. And you can't get any luggage through the door. All you can do is with a great deal of effort and groaning, force your way through that narrow opening and it rips you as you go through. Some of you thought all you had to do was come to the altar and say, thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful gift you're offering me. I accept. Save me now. And the preacher said, okay, now you're saved. Go home. All you did was get vaccinated against Jesus. You weren't saved at all. You were lost. See, when you come to Jesus and you squeeze through that narrow door, there's suffering involved because you're allowing your desires to die. You're allowing your goals to drop to the ground. You're saying, Jesus, you're going to be my supply. You're going to be my everything. I'm going to trust you. One of the first things I had to learn about my sweetheart is that I couldn't please her. We had this conversation soon after we were married. Some difficulties had come up between us. And she said, well, Ray, let me tell you. You haven't been pleasing to me. I was kind of panicked. I said, I guess we've learned something together. We're not pleasing each other very much. And then I said, I think I know the secret. I don't think I'm supposed to be pleasing you. I don't think you're supposed to be pleasing me. I think we're supposed to be pleasing Jesus. And if I'm pleasing Jesus and you're pleasing Jesus, then we'll be pleased. Boy, did that change the picture for both of us. And every once in a while, we have to go back and review this. Because I'm still at heart, I know this will shock some of you, I'm still at heart a very pleasing person. Some of you are laughing at me, but it's true. And I try to please my wife. 
and sometimes in trying to please her, I make her very upset. Because she'll say to me, are you trying to please me or are you trying to please Jesus? Big difference. So frankly, I've learned to stop trying to please my wife. And she doesn't spend much time trying to please me. Now we're spending all of our time pleasing Jesus. And what a symphony of joy that makes in the household. Now let's read further. I want you to see this. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law of marriage sin? No, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetousness desire. Any of you understand what it's saying? All you have to say to your child is, remember, don't touch the candy. And you've just guaranteed yourself that that child's going to try to touch that candy. Now, you can up the ante on the punishment level. That child's still going to try to go for the candy. Why? Because of this marriage to the devil. Children are born married to darkness. So Paul is saying, this commandment came to life and it gave me a command. And it made me so mad, I was in a rage about it. And I would guess that some of you listening tonight to this message, oh, you may smile on the outside, but I would guess there's some anger in some of your hearts against this word that's being spoken. Because you're saying, Pastor, I'm not married to the devil. I'm my own person. And I'm going to have it my way. No, you're not. You're married to the devil. You're not going to have it your way. You're going to have it his way because he's the boss. Until you die. Now watch. Verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Well, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through that which was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Now listen to verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, 
And as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I do not want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And now comes this great resounding answer from the Apostle Paul. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I, I want to stop again for a moment and make this very clear. If you choose to continue preserving your life, you preserve your wedding with the devil. And 90.9% of all Christians in America are married to the devil. They think they're on their way to heaven, but they have no fruits of righteousness in their lives. They can go to church, they can pay their tithe, they can sing and shout, they can dress the flesh up, they can force the flesh to outwardly perform in the way it's supposed to perform most of the time. But the truth is, they're still wed to the devil. And they know they don't have victory in their lives over sin. They know they're still slaves to those inner places in their minds. They've not gained the victory. They're still walking defeated. I want to tell you tonight, there's only one way that you gain the victory. It is through Jesus Christ. He paid the price on Calvary's tree. He said, would you please come take up your cross and follow me. Why would he say, take up your cross and follow me? Where was he headed when he said, follow me? He was headed to Golgotha. He was headed to Golgotha to be crucified. There's only one way for you to be saved tonight. And that is to be crucified in the flesh, that you can live in the spirit of the living God. It means withholding your hand from evil by the power of the Spirit of the living God instead of by the power of self-will. It means walking in the newness of God under the blessing of Jesus in the fullness of His anointing. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to 
present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with Of his glory with great joy. 